All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I think that's the third time someone said good morning. Sorry. It's just, it's just a habit. It's just you get in front of people and you say good morning. I can't help it. Hello, everybody. That's just what to say. Hello. Man. Not ready yet. Well, I got to get moving. I got places to go. No, I'm just kidding. Grace. Well, here we are, a Sunday morning in June. I feel like everything we always say, it goes so fast. But here we are in June. It's hard to believe. Uh, but we are continuing today in our series on Genesis. So we are continuing today. Uh, we're going to be going kind of through chapters 12 uh, and 14. Really, we're just going to focus kind of on chapter 12 uh, and the beginning uh, of 13. My plan was to, to cover all of it. But as I was writing, I was like, there's no way I'm going to cover all of it. So we're going to hit a lot of things just through uh, those chapters. So last week, uh, Ron preached on, on Genesis 10 through 11. And, and that kind of marks kind of an, an ending to the kind of opening of Genesis. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 kind of cover like thousands of years, like very quickly. Uh, and then we get into chapter 12, and the pace begins to slow down. Uh, we begin kind of, kind of zooming in on, on one family line, thinking of Abraham and his seed through uh, the rest all the way through the end uh, of the book. Uh, but before we get started, I, I want to ask you a question. And do you consider yourself a good promise keeper? Anybody consider yourself a, a good promise keeper? Like you, you make... Now, wives, you can answer for your husbands. Are you, are you guys, any wives still waiting on some projects that were promised uh, over a certain amount of time? They're not fair. So you just got to be like me and not be able to do any projects, and you can't commit to any projects. It's just, yeah, you know, it is what it is. So we go through these things, and you know, we, we think of it, right? We go through, we, we make millions of promises probably through our lifetimes, if you're like me and you're a sports fan, you probably have a, a promise where you say, Lord, if the Ravens win, then I will do this. Lord, if the Orioles win, well, that one you don't really have to worry about. If you're making promises, that's a little, little harder maybe to follow through on, on that promise. But we do all these things, right? Lord, Lord, I promise. I promise to do this. If you do that, I promise. All these different things we do through our lives. But what happens? We often stumble and fail. You know, if, if you're married, you stood in front of friends, family, and God and, and made promises to each other. <laughs> to be there through, through the good and the bad and the struggles in life, saying no matter what happens, I, I promise to love you. But we are sinful people. We, we break promises all the time. We could probably go through a survey in this room and, and think and reflect on all the times when we've been hurt where promises weren't kept in our lives. And as we go through that, we remember those things. So as we turn to Genesis 12, we're going to see promises being made. And these promises are going to set the stage for the rest of the Old Testament, going to set the stage for the New Testament, and it's going to set the stage even into today and to the future. The great thing about these promises is that God is making these promises. Not a sinful person who breaks promises, but a holy God who is unable to go against his word, and whatever he speaks into being will come into being. 
over and over through Scripture, these promises will be carried out as a place of remembrance to remember the faithfulness of God, to remember who he is, all as a sign of hope for his people. So with all that in mind, let's pray and then turn to Genesis 12 through 14. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful morning. And I praise you that you brought us here together this morning, that we could fellowship together this morning, that we could sing songs of praise to you. And now that we can hear from your word and be encouraged and challenged by what your spirit teaches us. Lord, I pray for all the churches around the world who are meeting and worshiping this day. I pray that heaven rejoices with the nations that praise you this morning. God, you are the God of Abraham, the God of promises, and we know that you are faithful. Be with us this morning as we gather around your word. We pray all this in the son, your son's name. Amen. So like I said, we're, we're going to cover a, a lot of information today. But first, we're going to begin in, in chapter 12. So follow along with me as I read the first five verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all your families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So here we have God speaking to Abram. And he calls on him to, to leave his country, to go to a land in which he will show him. To get full understanding of this, we need to gotta kind of back up into chapter 11. And we find out where Abraham was originally from. In there, we learn that he was from Ur of the Chaldeans. But they decided, as we see from his father's leading, to head toward Canaan. But on the way, they settled somewhere else in Haran. And Ur was the capital area kind of, of Mesopotamia. We know kind of today as southern Iraq. Kind of 200 miles south, you would say, of Baghdad. There, it is where his brother dies, leaving behind his son, Lot. Then, from there, they travel north uh, to the city of Haran, which is located in the area we know today as southern Turkey. To be specific, now, this is where his father will die. And there we see the, the map that they had gone on. You see the kind of Ur in the background there on the bottom. You see the arrow pointing up to Haran, and you kind of think, from Ur to the promised land, Canaan is kind of a straight line, it looks like, right? The only problem with that is it's a desert. Anybody want to travel through a desert? Not likely. So you can see there the river Euphrates. So they would, this is likely the trade route of the time. So they would travel north along the river, going into that city, and then travel down into Canaan. So they were like not very keen on walking through uh, a desert. So th this is the, the journey that he goes on. But we find out within both these cities, they're, they're filled with a pagan worship and false gods. You see, neither city would be a place where somebody would want to draw close to God. In fact, we learn from Joshua 24, verse 2, that Abraham's family had fallen into this false worship. 
It says in Joshua 24, as Joshua is speaking to the people and reminding them of all their history, it says, Joshua gathered with all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. We'll come back to that city in a little bit. And summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And this is what he says. He says, and Joshua said to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham, and they, were, and they served other gods. Joshua is reminding the people of their history and their serving of other gods in these cities. So God calls Abraham out of this area into a, a new beginning, a, a new place with a new nation. If you think back to, to Noah, there was sin in the land. He calls out to Noah for a, a new beginning, that he would destroy the earth and he would start afresh with his family line. Now here we have Abraham, Abram being called out from his wicked cities into a new beginning, in, into this promised family line, which he would seed in the land of Canaan. All this was God's calling upon his life. He says, look, I am going to show you an area to which I will lead you. You know, we kind of become familiar with this story. and We understand God's calling and then his leaving. But we see that he actually got, maybe we believe this calling well before he actually left. And if you look in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is again giving a history of the nation of Israel, as he is giving his great speech before he is martyred, he says in verses 2 and 3, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred into the land I will show you. So here he is, even before, while he is still living in Ur, he, he gets this message from the Lord to, to go and live in this promised land that he will show him. But as his father leads him on this journey, they end up settling in Haran. They settle, and why? I don't know. Maybe they saw the city and they thought they would enjoy the city. Something about it maybe was attractive to them. But we see then that God reminds him of this call. And if you have in your Bible, in the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, there might be a little footnote. There might be a footnote there that says on the bottom that it could be even read that God, the Lord, had said to Abraham. Instead of saying the Lord said to Abraham, it's kind of one of those translation things that you see there. So they're, they're thinking maybe this is a reminder of the call that was originally placed upon his life. But as we see, as he gets this call, as he finally advances and goes out to this promised land, he receives this calling of the Lord to proceed into the land in which he was promised. I think we see very clearly as we think about this calling, it is the calling that we all have upon our own lives. Uh, we use this word calling a lot in churches today. I use it when I describe our family moving here. And coming to this church, we felt that God was calling us here to Faith Fellowship Church. Many of us want to know, what, what is God's calling upon my life? We wonder, is God calling me off to be some missionary in a far-off country? That's what we get afraid of, right? 
we always get afraid when we start thinking about calling that God's going to call me to some third world country to be a missionary, and maybe he is. is. Is God calling me to this job or to that job or to be married or single? All different types of calling within his will. But here's what I know. I know that we all have one general calling, and the calling is to share the gospel and to make disciples. It doesn't matter where you are. You're a stay-at-home mom, a business leader, or even a youth leader. All have the same call to proceed and to share the gospel message. But then, similar to Abram, we, we all do come time, sometimes get specific calls as well to go into ministry, to go into place of work. You know, sometimes calls aren't easy. Abraham was called to leave everything that he knew and every, all, leave it all behind to go to a strange land that he didn't even know. God tells him, look, I'm going to show you the land that I have for you. And as we thought about even the mission field, you know, we think about Pablo and Bethany, who felt the call to go to Romania. I know we all wish they wouldn't, but God had called them overseas. And in just a few weeks, they'll be visiting with us and sharing about their missionary journeys over there. Has anyone ever felt like God was placing a call upon your life? How many of you feel like maybe you're ignoring God's call upon your life? It can be a struggle when we come across these things. Abraham's family wasn't meant to settle where they settled. They were meant to proceed on and go into the promised land. But instead, they just settled and later decided to proceed with the call. You know, every so often we offer the shape class here at Faith Fellowship Church, a class that is designed to see how God has uniquely gifted you for your calling, the, the spiritual gifts that he's given to you, the natural abilities that he's given to you, the relationships that he's placed you in, the workplaces that he's put you, all forming this call that he has upon your life to make disciples and to spread the gospel. But we don't only see a calling through this, we see, as I mentioned earlier, promises. We think about these promises, or as some people call them, the covenants that God makes with Abraham. And in this, we see three things. We see the promise of a land. We see the promise of a great nation of descendants. And we see that there will be a blessing to others. It is upon these promises that Abraham began this journey. He was go about 400 miles south from Haran. It's this long journey. But it began with obedience finally to the call that God had placed upon his life. As I said earlier, these promises become extremely important in the book of Genesis. Not just Genesis, but all of Scripture. Referring to this promise that God, God will make to Abraham. I want you to think back to those promises, right? We talked about earlier... <clears throat> Maybe the, the if and then promises, where I would say, if the ravens win, then I will never miss church again the rest of my life. But when you look at this promise of God, there, there is no if or then. God simply repeats over and over, I will, I will, I will do all these things for you. And it's not because God doesn't make any if or then promises. You can probably remember the promise from 2 Chronicles 7.14, where God says, If my people, 
who were called by my name, humble themselves, and pray and seek my face, and turn their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. But this is a different promise from God. It is not an if and then. It is I will. I will do these things. I will make you a great nation. I will give you this land. All these things, it was not dependent upon Abraham. So we have this promise of a land, and it is a land that we see even today have constant struggle because of these promises to Israel. We see a blessing, a promise of a son. And we know how this story plays out. This becomes a point of maybe conflict or lack of trust, even within Abraham's life, as he goes on and on and not having this son, this son that would be promised for a great nation. And then what about this, this promise of a blessing to others? How do we see Abraham being a blessing to other nations around us? Well, I think we understand this when we read Matthew chapter 1. And we see in, in verse 1 where Matthew begins and he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we see that this great blessing to other nations, up to all people, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Matthew, in his writings, is making sure that his Jewish readers understand that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. That the line of Christ, this line of salvation, began here with Abraham. Paul writes in Galatians, as he, as he is talking about the struggle between the law and freedom of the law, he's going to say in chapter 3 that faith has come. He says, for all of us who are sons of God through faith, that we are sons of God. He says in verse 29, he goes on and he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. So these great promises of Genesis 12 being carried out through all of Scripture. A promise of a land, a promise of descendants, and a promise of Jesus Christ. Not dependent upon us, but dependent upon God himself. He will do these things. But these aren't the only promises that we see from God. We see numerous promises from God throughout Scripture. And we learn that we can trust God, that we can lean on him because he is unchanging and his promises are true. We fail over and over in our promises. But God is not like us. God never changes his purposes or his plans. You know, as we look to the New Testament, we see promises like Matthew 6.33, where it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So as life goes on, as we forget our foundation as the people of God, sometimes we begin to place other things ahead of Christ. But he says here, if you seek first my kingdom, then all things will be given to you. Or what about Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are, here it is, called according to his purpose. Sometimes things don't turn out the way that we want them to. Bad things happen in life. It is bound to happen for all of us. But God says there is a greater plan at work behind the scenes. And for those who are of my family, 
those who are of the faith, all things work together for my glory. And this doesn't mean that we get all the riches and, and good things in life. It means that all things work together for his glory. There are so many other promises that we see in Scripture. We see in 1 Peter a promise of an inheritance of us in heaven and in the future that will never fail. We learn how God is always with us, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. And then there is a calling upon our lives that we have Christ as the ultimate fulfillment. He is the great promise of hope in our lives. So as we think about this calling that Abraham had, we think about these promises that were given to him. We think about the calling upon our lives, the promises that we have, and where does this lead us? Well, as we see, it leads us to a place of worship. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem. That's from Joshua, the very place at the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So here he is. He's coming in to this promised land. This promise that was given to him, the first thing he does as he comes here is what? God first renews the promise. He says, look, here it is. Here is the promise that I was given to you. And the first thing Abraham does then is build an altar. He builds an altar of worship to the Lord. And he says, basically, thank you, Lord. A place to give sacrifices and praise and worship to God. As you read the Old Testament again, these promises and these altars are built before the Lord. Before the tabernacle and before the temple, they would regularly build altars in places of significance. In places where they could gather and worship the Lord. So as he builds this altar, he travels again and builds a second altar as a place of worship. So are we being led to this place of worship? Are we looking at God's promises for our lives? Are we looking at his calling upon our lives and making our lives about worshiping him? And in Romans 12, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And this is how we are to live, to not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is that is good, acceptable, and perfect. So as we're led to this place of worship, we leave behind the things of this world. The things that honor Christ is the things that define us in our lives. That glory is given to God. You see, it's because of the mercy of God. You see, mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Our sins deserve punishment. Our sins deserve the wrath of God. But instead, all we get is the mercy because of that son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. We are freed from the punishment to live a life that honors and worship of God. So do you worship on a daily basis? 
Do you reflect on all that God has given to you and promised to you? All of that leads us to a place where we honor God. Whether you're, you're singing songs in your car ride, you're getting cut off by somebody on 95. Whether you're worshiping in your homes, whether you're worshiping at work. Because why? Because God is faithful. And we build an altar to him in our lives. But we all know as we go about our lives, we need to be careful. Because there are moments when we'll stumble. There are moments when we will lose track of our sight upon Christ and on God. And at the end of chapter 12, we read about a famine that comes over the land. Now, commentaries will debate back and forth whether Abraham should have left the promised land to go down to Egypt or if he should have stayed. But I think we get a pretty cool picture of what is happening here when we look at how it affected his family generations later. And I want you to think about Genesis chapter 26. There's another famine in the land. This one is faced by Isaac. And Isaac isn't really sure what to do. And God gives him these words in Genesis 26 verse 2. It says, And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt to dwell in the land which I shall tell you. He says, Look, Dwell where I am going to tell you to dwell. And Isaac stays in the promised land through the famine. But we go on to Genesis 46, and there is another famine. This is kind of a rough place to live, isn't it? There is famine after famine. So here we are in Genesis 46, and now we have Jacob. And Jacob is wondering, well, what, should we go down to Egypt because of this famine? Now who, this is kind of a spoiler alert, but who was already in Egypt that Jacob knows? All right, people, oh, I was so glad somebody answered. Joseph. So God has prepared them for this. And in this case, God says, look, go down to Egypt. I am with you. I am leading you through this. So it kind of racks our brains to think because we don't really get Abraham being told not to go. But we don't really get instructions that he is to go down to Egypt. So I think as we look at this, I look at it as, as maybe he wasn't trusting in God. But one of the biggest things that we see is him removing himself from his place of worship. From his place of focus, from the altars that he had built. Remember, the place of Ur, a place of pagan worship. Where his family worshipped other gods. He comes into the promised land, builds altars to God. And now he goes down to Egypt, a place where they don't worship God, a place of foreign gods again, and we see him stumble. It's kind of a, a big lie within this family to lie about their wives. So as he approaches Pharaoh in Egypt, he says, look, I need to protect myself, is basically what he comes down to. He says, I need to protect myself. So you say, I'm going to tell you that, I'm going to tell them you're my sister, which was kind of a half-truth, half-lie to them. But he says, look, this is going to save my life because they'll kill me. He's looking out for himself in all of this. So all this happens. Pharaoh actually does end up taking Sarah. But then 
we get word that plagues come upon Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wonders what is happening. He can't believe that Abraham lied to him, that he was drawn away from these things. And this is what C.H. McIntosh says, kind of summing up this dealing with Egypt and Abraham. He says this. He says, you know what? It is better to starve in Canaan, if it should be so, than live in luxury in Egypt. It is far better to suffer in God's path than be at ease in Satan's. It is better to be poor with Christ than to be rich without him. So as Abraham is thinking upon these things, and as he is here in Egypt, and he has removed himself from this place of worship from these idols now in Egypt, and then he gets sent away. But I think there's an important understanding for us that we need to be careful and to not open the door to the enemy. Abram was doing well, but he lost his trust in the promises and, and left the land behind. And he went into Egypt and ends up lying and makes great pain upon his family. The Bible says that we are like sheep. We go astray. We don't trust and we lose sight of that place of worship. Over and over, the Bible warns us to not lose sight of God. You know, one of my favorite bands uh, is this band called Wolves at the Gate. Now, I don't suggest you go looking them up unless you like kind of some screaming in your music. I'll just preference that. Look for the acoustic versions, maybe. But they have this song called The Bird and the Snake. Now, what do you think that song is about? Actually, no, it's an elephant. No, I'm just kidding. It is about birds. It is about birds and snakes. Now, what do you know about birds, right? They get up early in the morning. They go out and they get their food. They are very hard-working animals. So in this song, we have a lazy bird, a bird that doesn't want to go out and get its food. So the snake comes along, and the snake says, look, if you don't want to get food, just, just give me one of your feathers. Give me a feather, and, and then I'll go and get you food and bring it back to you. And the bird's like, this is great. I got a ton of feathers. Here, take this feather, bring back some food. Comes back. This happens again and again. And then a couple of times later, the, the snake comes back. Again, the bird is lazy. And the snake, kind of knowing what's happening, he says, look, I know that you need me to live. You are dependent upon me. He says, you know what? Now not one feather. Give me three. Give me three feathers, and then I'll go and get you food. It's like, all right, yeah, I got feathers. Here, here, take three. I don't need, here's three more feathers for you. Eventually you see what's happening here. He's getting less and less feathers. Eventually, the bird realizes that he's given up too much. He can't fly away. The, the bird finally cries out, and he says to the snake, all you brought me was pain and grief, you deceptive and lying thief. And in the end, the song just ends with the snake eating the bird. Kind of a sad ending, but that's what happens. And when you think about it, what the song is, it's a picture of sin in our lives. You know, I'll, I'll just give in one time. No big deal. 
I'll give in one more time. Oh, this time, again, again. It's one website, one book, one web page. All these things in our lives. And eventually we get to the point where we realize sin has control over our lives. And this is where Abraham got to this point where he let this sin invade his life and it brought him pain and it brought him death. Kind of not really death, but sinfulness. It brought him to a point where even Pharaoh was like, what's wrong with you? Why would you lie about such things? See, we get trapped in our sins. And this is why Jesus came to free us, to bring us to this place of peace. The Lamb of God who came to take our sin upon his cross. It's that we cannot free ourselves from this, but we need to trust in Christ. But I want you to notice how the beginning of chapter 13 is. 13 picks it up as he is coming back from Egypt. And he's going through all these things, and he says in verse 1, Abraham has come back from Egypt with all his possessions here. In verse 2, it talks about the wealth that he has. And then in verse 3, it says that he has brought back to his place of worship. The first thing he does as he comes out of Egypt is led back to the place where he was, where God first had him where God first renewed that promise to him. So as he comes out of Egypt, he comes again to this place of worship, to this place where he calls upon the name of the Lord. You know, and I think that's another story for us, that as we go through our lives and as we go through our sins, we come back to the place where God has always wanted us. God wanted Abraham at his feet. He wanted him at his altar. I want to call the, the worship team back as we begin a time of ending here. And he says, in this place of trust and obedience and worship. You know, we have seen God's calling upon our lives. Are we listening? God has promised that he is faithful, that he will do these things. His calling and promise lead us to a place of worship. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we are not opening <clears throat> our lives to a place of sin. That we are not opening that door to just lose one feather. And then to lose more feathers. And then to be in a place where we are trapped by our sins. We come back to this place of worship. It's all about faith. Abraham is commended later on in the book of Hebrews for his faith. He is in the great chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. Christy and I were just in Ohio when we visited the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you were going through chapter 11, you would see Abraham's bust in the Hall of Fame for all that he had in his faith. And in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. It says he didn't know where he was going, but by faith he went. He went by faith looking forward to the things that God was calling upon his life. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know where God was leading him, but he knew who was leading him. And he knew he could trust his God. 
and we can trust our God, our Savior, with our lives. Find your calling. Understand what God has upon your life. Know that he is faithful and true. If you are in this room or if you are online, believe in Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. If you don't understand all the things that Christ has done for you in your life, let someone around you know. Understand all the great things Christ did for you. Jesus died upon a cross for your sins, and he rose again on the third day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this introduction to Abraham. We thank you for the calling and the promises that we see upon his life. Lord, we know that you are leading and that you are guiding us, that you want us to be in a place of worship and to not open the door to the sins that are around us, but that we would stay at our altars, that we would come before you and trust you and in faith that we would lean upon your word, not always knowing what the answer is, but knowing that we can trust you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.